God's grace is really freely offered to us. Uh, speaking of free, um, Oprah Winfrey, I don't watch her show, didn't watch it back in the day. And, uh, but I know, that, I know this, that in the opening season of her 19th season, season, she gave away some free stuff on her show. And that's something she was always very good at doing, is giving away free stuff. And, and that particular day, she gave away 11 brand new cars. 11 brand new cars. And then she said, but wait, there's more. There's another car I'm going to give away. And everybody received a little wrapped box that was in the studio audience. They all received this little box. And she said, there's a key in one of those boxes. And in a moment, you're going to open your box. And if you have the key in your box, you also get a free car. And she goes, okay, everybody, open your boxes. Maybe you watched this and you already know what happened. Everybody in the audience opened their boxes. Everyone had a key. Everybody had a key. And, and everybody started, they were crying and they were laughing and they were screaming. The place was going nuts and Oprah was yelling, everybody gets a car. Everybody gets a car. It was nuts. 276 members of the studio audience that day got a free car. Well, kind of. Not everybody could actually keep that free car because the taxes on those free cars was between $5,000 and $7,000. And some people couldn't afford to pay the taxes, so they didn't get the free gift. Oh, breaks my heart, right? So everybody, look underneath your pew this morning, and you're going to find a little box. And I'm just, I wish I was, I wish I could. Uh, you're going to get a different gift this morning. It's called Grace. Grace, God's undeserving favor given to us, free of charge, no strings attached. Amazing. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter one this morning. We're continuing our series on everybody wins. And today's message is when free is really free, everybody wins. In John chapter one, the apostle John is writing this this um, gospel and in the first chapter, he is beginning to kind of set up this person named Jesus. He's beginning to introduce him to the uh, to the readers of this gospel. And he begins and talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and all of that. And then back down to this verse number 14, he says this, the word Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. I love that. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And here's his glory. Full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Look at verse 17 with me. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here he's laying a foundation. The apostle John's laying a foundation. Before he goes into the narrative, he lays this foundation of what this Jesus is really like. And he says, Jesus is different than Moses. Jesus is different than the law. Jesus is full of grace and truth. There's this beautiful marriage of God's grace and God's truth coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. And here we see it displayed through his life in chapter 8. So now turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll begin verse, verse number 1 and we'll read this story. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. 
and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. This is a beautiful picture of the grace of God and the truth of God coming together through the person of Jesus Christ. He is full of truth. He is full of grace. And he just demonstrated it here. And we're going to pull it apart a little bit now. The first thing that I observe or that I catch when I read this is the fact that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the last time I checked, it takes two people to commit adultery. So I'm asking, where's the man? They parade this woman in front of everybody. This woman was caught in the very act. Excuse me. Where's the man? Maybe she was caught in bed with a Pharisee and they're trying to cover up for him. I don't know. But there's no man. Just this woman. And then they say the law says that such a woman should be stoned, which is half true. Because the law also says the man who was caught in adultery should be stoned as well. And I just want to point it out to you in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now, if this law was still true today and one that we had to abide by or the consequences of breaking the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. If the consequence was still the same, how many of you wouldn't be here today? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you'd like to. So the woman's there. The man's not there. The punishment of the crime in in that day, it was still the law of Moses. What's the law say? Have her stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? They're trying to trap him. If you're so full of grace and so full of truth, what are you going to do? If you're so full of truth, you're going to condemn her, too, because the law says you should. But if you're so full of grace, you're going to forgive her. Then we're going to stone you for blasphemy. For God is the only one who can forgive sins. And they're saying, you're not God. They're trying to trap him. Either way, Jesus is trapped. And they're saying, hey, you've got to choose Jesus. You can't be full of grace and full of truth. You're one or the other. But God shows them, no, I am full of both grace and full of truth. And then something interesting happens. The Bible says that Jesus stoops down to the ground and he begins to write with his finger on the ground. And by the way, this is the first time, the last time that we ever have a record of Jesus writing anything. And he's writing in the ground. But I can tell you this. This isn't this isn't the first time that God has ever written something with his finger. Remember in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, the writing on the wall. 
Belteshazzar, the king of Babylon, he's throwing a big party. He thinks he's somebody big. And God sends this. He puts his finger. He sees this finger writing these words on the wall. He freaks out and he poops his pants. You can read all about it in Daniel chapter 5. He's so scared because what was on the wall was not, you great king, you've done such a great job. No, it was a sign of judgment. It was a message of judgment to this wicked king. And the message was simply this. This, the message was, your days are numbered, your righteousness has been weighed in, this, in, in God's scales, and you've been found wanting, and your kingdom that you thought was your kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to your enemies. Now, that was one of the times that God wrote with his finger. The other time God wrote with his finger was in Exodus chapter 31 and 32, where God wrote the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that the finger of God, he wrote the Ten the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. And can I remind you and remind me this morning that God gave us the Ten Commandments, not to show how holy we are, but to show how holy God is and how unholy we are. So anytime God got his finger out and started writing, it was either judgment or it was law. So I have a good feeling that on that day that Jesus knelt down, there's a pattern here that he wasn't writing. Guys, you've been a great, you've been great leaders. You've been great husbands. You've been great spiritual leaders of the church. I'm so proud of you. I have a feeling it was a message of judgment or maybe it was the Ten Commandments or maybe it was he was actually writing out their own sins. I don't know for sure, but we do know how they responded to what he was doing that day. And here's what happens. They're trying to test him. You know what the law says, Jesus, but we want to know what you say. And he says this. He says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus would say that because the law said this in Deuteronomy 17, 7. It said, if anyone is witness If anyone is a witness of the sin that happened, let him be the first to cast the first stone. Jesus changes it to let him who is not the witness, but let him who is without sin be the first to cast the first stone. So the law says this. What do you say, Jesus? I say this. Whoever is without sin, let him be the first to pick up a stone and stone her to death. Yet nobody is throwing stones that day. Nobody, nobody's throwing stones that day and not even Jesus is throwing stones, though only one in the crowd who was without sin, who had the authority to throw stones and who had the authority to forgive sin. There was only one man that day who could throw a stone, and that was Jesus. He said, let the person who's without sin, right? How many of you know Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible says, yet he was without sin. Let him be the one to cast the first stone. Jesus was clearly communicating that day. I'm the only one that has authority to stone her. And I'm the only one that has the authority to forgive her. So nobody's throwing stones that day and nobody's throwing stones today. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. What was Jesus communicating that day when he said, let him who has without sin cast the first stone? What was he saying? He was saying, you all deserve to be stoned. And I have the authority to do it. I have the authority to condemn you and I have the authority to forgive you. And that's the message Jesus was putting out there that day. Very powerful. You know, it would appear when you first read the text that there is one sinner in the crowd. There is the sinner and there are the saints. 
But Jesus wanted everybody to be really clear that day. There's only two kinds of people in the crowd today. Those who got caught in their sin and those who can hide it really well. Isn't that the truth? Anyway, we're just a we're just a bunch. We're a room full of sinners saved by God's free grace. That's what we are this morning. And I know the Bible calls us saints as well, but only because we've got a, a righteousness that's been imputed to us or put within us. And it's God's righteousness. But that day, Jesus said, I want you to be real clear here. There's two kinds of people in the room. Right. Those who admit their sin and those who um, deny their sin. You know, our greatest sin is really not our sin. Our greatest sin is our cover up of our sin. David was a man after God's own heart. David's greatest sin was not his sin with Bathsheba. Greatest sin that David ever committed was covering up his sin with Bathsheba. Most scholars, as they study it and they understand it, they would say that David lived with his sin unconfessed for over a year. Right. And that's what really began to eat away at his life. The Bible says that his bones even begin to get sick. And he was overwhelmed with with sorrow and he wasn't sleeping well and all this and that. Let me tell you, your greatest sin is not your sin, but the cover up of your sin. I remember the day that I tried to cover up my sin of, of lying. And I wish I could tell you this morning that I was a teenager and I was just, you know, lying teenager. But I was I was a pastor at the time and I was the youth pastor right here at Glad Tidings. And this happened several years ago. Um, it was on a Wednesday and we had. Wednesday night church, just like we do today. And I'm in my office getting ready to preach that night and lunchtime rolls around. I'm hungry. I don't have a car to drive down to Arby's and get and get lunch. So I go to the front desk and Bib, our receptionist, who's still our receptionist today. I say, Bib, I don't have a car today. My wife has the car. We were sharing a vehicle. I said, can I borrow your car and get some lunch? She said, sure. Here's the keys. And she says, just please don't roll down the windows because I just had the windows tinted on my car. And it's going to take like 24 hours for it to dry right. I said, sure, no problem. I got in the car, drove down to Arby's, went through the drive-thru, rolled down the window. <laughs> I just totally spaced it. Ordered my food, back to church, walked through the main office. There's Bib. She goes, wow, that was fast. I said, sure. I drove through the drive-thru. What do you expect? That's, you know. And, and at that moment, I thought, uh-oh. Uh-oh. What am I going to do? And she looked at me and she goes, well, how did you order your food if you didn't roll down your window? I said, well, I just I just opened my door and I ordered my food. (laughs) And then I went back to my office and I choked down my food and I tried to pray and study the rest of the afternoon. And how many of you know that wasn't very productive? And I'm sitting there, the man of God, the pastor, the Christian. And I'm going to be talking to 150 teenagers that night. Right. And I'm like, I can't do this. I felt horrible. Hey, thank God for conviction, right? God blessed me with conviction. So I'm hiding this sin. I'm hiding it. I'm hiding it. And finally, I can't hide it anymore. It's killing me from the inside out. I march to the front desk. I say, Bib, I am so sorry, but I lied to you. I did not open the door. I actually rolled down the window to order my food. And she goes, I know. I raised three boys. (laughs) Can't hide anything around here. Oh, thank God for for secretaries and receptionists that keep pastors accountable. Right. I love it. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Every sin that you try to cover. 
Every sin that you tried to cover, God will uncover. He will. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next month. But there will come a time where it will be uncovered. And we know on the day of judgment, all sins will be uncovered. But here's what I know about God. Every sin that we uncover before him, he covers with the blood of Jesus. He covers with the blood of Jesus. And I walked out of that office that day, out of the receptionist area, and I walked away cleansed. Of a, of a dirty conscience. I walked away cleansed of a dirty heart. And that night I went down and I preached to 150 teenagers. And you know what I told them? I told them the truth. I told them I lied. I told them the story. I told them what I did. Your kids, <laughs> your teenagers, they'll learn more from your mistakes than your successes. If you handle them right. So they tried to trap Jesus. Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then in verse number nine, this is their response. They say this at this. Those who had heard this began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Here what we see and what we can learn from this little piece of scripture right here is that there are basically two different responses that people have when they begin to understand their true condition before God. You either walk away or you stand there. The men, these men knew that they were they were with sin. They were not without sin. What did they do with their sin? They walked away with it. They kept it to themselves. And yet we have this woman who stood there. She was as guilty as sin on all accounts. And she stood there and she just humbled herself before Jesus. She had no place to go, right? She had been caught. She was guilty. She didn't walk away. She stood there because she needed something. She needed something. She needed undeserved favor from God that day. Verse number 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. Can I tell you this morning that it could be that maybe for the first time in this woman's life, maybe for the first time this woman had a man in her life who instead of shaming her, wanted to save her. Instead of exploiting her, wanted to cover her shame. Maybe for the first time in her life, she met this man. His name is Jesus. And he did something that no other man had ever done. Listen, Jesus did not come to condemn her that day. He came to cleanse her that day. He came to cleanse her that day. He had the power. He had the authority to condemn her. But he he doesn't desire to condemn us. We read it a few weeks ago, John 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Some of you need to hear those words from Jesus today. Neither do I condemn you. I don't want to come condemn you. You're as guilty as sin, right? You are you are so guilty. You are so. And Jesus is here to let you know, I am not condemning you here today. I have something better for you than condemnation. I have justification for you. I have forgiveness for you. 
Here's what you need to understand about this Jesus who is full of grace and full of truth. Before he could be full of grace to this woman, he had to be full of truth to this woman. So you need to understand that grace doesn't make sense to anybody. Undeserved favor doesn't make sense to anybody until we hear the truth of our condition first. So truth had to get her attention before grace made any sense. And truth told her that day, you've been caught, you're guilty, and you deserve death. That's what truth says. But grace told her that day, neither do I condemn you. But that wasn't the end of the message of grace. Grace also said, go and sin no more. You see, if Jesus had just stopped with neither do I condemn you, Jesus would have given her only half the message of grace. The other half, the message of grace is go and sin no more. Are you with me this morning? The first half of the message of grace is pardon. The second half of the message of grace is power. I don't want just half grace this morning. I want full grace this morning. I want power and pardon. I need both. I need the full grace of God at work in my life. Everybody wants grace and they think that means pardon, pardon, pardon. And it does, but that's half the message. The other half is God has power available to you to live in such a way that it blows people's minds. I want you to look at with me, Titus, Titus chapter two, verse 11. And this is the full message of grace right here. And Paul is telling Titus this, he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. That's the first half of grace. It brings salvation. It has appeared to all men. Verse 12. It teaches us. It teaches us to say what? To know to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you believe that scripture is true? You believe that scripture is true? Grace is not just for pardon. Grace is also for power. See, when we encounter God's grace, when God's grace touches our lives it touches every part of our life every part of our life everything is changed because of grace not just this little part here i'm going to heaven now oh isn't this wonderful no it touches every part of your life it touches your thought life it touches you on monday and on tuesday and on wednesday my friend every day of the week the grace of god is meant to touch you it's meant to either pardon you or to empower you that day And some of you here today, you need some pardon and some of you need some power. Grace supplies both to us this morning. Can you say amen? Thank you, God. So here's the big question. And we don't know it because the text doesn't tell us. Do you think this woman left her life of sin? He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave Your life of sin. Do you think she left her life of sin? Or do you think that she went on sinning that grace may abound? You know what? This is what I think. I could be wrong. But I think she found another lover that day. I think she fell in love with God that day. She met another lover that day. And can I tell you? When you meet that other lover... When you meet the grace of God, God's grace moves you to say no to those old lovers. Can you imagine if a, a, a man who just got married and a groom and he's with his bride and it's their, their, their honeymoon. And, and he says to her on that first night, honey, I love you so much and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. But we have to process something first. What's that, honey? 
Well, I just want to know how far can I go with other women? Can you imagine a groom asking that on his on his wedding day? How far can I go with other women? Hey, would it be okay if I have just a couple affairs along the way? Now, I know it might hurt you a little bit, but just think of all the opportunities where you can demonstrate God's grace to me and his forgiveness when I betray you. Wouldn't that be wonderful, honey? What kind of response do you think she would give him? If she's smart, if she's smart, she'd slap him in the face real good and say, absolutely not. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter five and Romans chapter six. He said, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? He said, absolutely not. I died to sin. He said, I died to those old lovers. How can I live for them again? Grace motivates us. There's a new M.O. in us. It moves us. It not just forgives us. It moves us to have only one lover. In church, when we approach God with a what can I get away with attitude or a how far is too far attitude, we've missed grace. We've missed grace. See, when we truly experience the grace of God, we spend the rest of our lives trying to fathom it, not trying to exploit it. God didn't redeem you to be his slave. He redeemed you to be his bride. Probably the one one of the most outrageous stories of grace in the Bible is found in the Old Testament and it's found in this little book called Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God. He's called a minor prophet, not because he was a small guy or he had little influence. It's the book was short. So he was a minor prophet, not a major prophet. And God appeared to Hosea one day and he says, you're my prophet. And I want you, I want you, Hosea, I want you to show my people what I'm like. And he said, yes, Lord, I can do that. He said, Hosea, I want you to get married. Yes, Lord, I can do that. I can get married. I've been lonely. I'm a lonely prophet. It sure be nice to have somebody to take this journey with me. Somebody that can be an encouragement to me. God, where can I find this wife? And God says, the red light district is where you'll find her. Well, that's not exactly what God said, but basically that's what he said. And Hosea is trying to understand that. And I don't know what was going through his mind. Maybe he thought, well, maybe she's a missionary in the red light district. And and that's why she's there. But God, very specifically in Hosea chapter one, the very first chapter. And in only verse number two, God very clearly says this. Take to yourself an adulterous wife. Take to yourself an adulterous wife. Why? Because I want you to be a living parable of my grace. So marry a promiscuous woman and your relationship with your wife will reflect my relationship with my people. You're going to give yourself to her. You're going to give your life to her. But she is going to forsake you. She is going to cheat on you. And she's going to reject you. And she's going to break your heart. But I want you to pursue her because I want people to see what my relationship looks like with my people who have also forsaken me. You know, there's a lot of metaphors in the Bible that describe what God is like. And I love some of them. They're just manly. They're just powerful metaphors. You know, God's a rock. He's a rock. I like that. Right. Or God is a consuming fire. Some of you pyrotechnic kind of people. Yeah, I love the fire piece of it, right? God's a consuming fire or God's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. He's almighty. But if we want to understand the heart of God, the metaphor of a husband 
whose wife has just left him for another lover is the metaphor we need to embrace today. If you want to understand the heart of God, understand him as a husband whose wife has just left him for another lover. The story goes on and Gomer, we know that um, Hosea, the man of God, he actually marries this woman and we know her name is Gomer. Gomer is her name and Gomer is like this city without walls. She's continuously promiscuous. They're married, but she's still she's still having affairs. In fact, they have they have three children, but one of them are from another man. People are talking. Can you imagine? Twitter's blowing up. The tabloids are having a heyday and they're all going, look what the look, look who the prophet married. I wonder how long this is going to last. I wonder when this divorce is going to happen. Right. All this is going on. Gomer then abandons Hosea for another man. She leaves. She can't be found. And for a time, she works as a prostitute. And it's during that that season of time in her life that God gives Hosea this shocking command. It's found in chapter 3, verse 1. And God says this to Hosea. Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves Israel, though she turns to other gods. So here God is telling Hosea, I want you to pursue her. I want you to go after her. Don't just let her go and let her run. Pursue her. How many of you know grace, grace pursues people? How many of you know God's grace pursues you? He doesn't just let you go and let you ruin and run your life. No, he pursues you. Grace goes after you. Hosea had, he had the law on his side. He had the right to divorce his wife. He had the right to have her stoned. But instead of giving her what she deserved, he gave her what she didn't deserve. He gave her grace and he pursued her. And the Bible says that Hosea found her in the marketplace. And she had come to such a low state, a low place in her life and had so many debts that she was up for sale on the auction block. Literally up for sale as a slave. And there Gomer stood. She was naked. She was ashamed. She had her head bowed low. She had her eyes closed. She was ashamed. She didn't want to look anybody in the eye. And the auction began that day. And it started at nine shekels of silver. And then somebody yelled out, I'll give you ten shekels. And then another thirteen shekels. And then something very, very powerful happened. As Gomer is standing up there, and as this auction's going on, she hears a familiar voice. And it's the voice of her husband. It's Hosea. And he throws out a bid. 14 shekels. I'll give you 14 shekels. He's trying to redeem his wife. He's trying to bring his wife back. Somebody else says, 15 shekels and five bushels of barley. That doesn't mean much to us today, but back then it meant a lot. Hosea counters back 15 shekels and nine bushels of barley's going once, going twice, sold to this man over here. Sir, what's your name? Hosea. Hosea gets up and he redeems his wife. And the first thing that he does is he covers her nakedness. He covers her shamefulness. And then he pulls her aside to a quiet, private place. And he goes, I don't want you to be my slave. I want you to be my wife. And Hosea says these words to her. He says, you are to live with me many days. And 
you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will live with you. How many of you know that's God's dream? I will live with you. Listen, grace pursues us. Grace pursues us when we're in our lowest place. When our life is up for sale. Right? And we are ashamed and we're naked and and, and it's a mess. Grace chases after us and pursues us and gives us this offer, this free offer. Would you, would you come? Would you come back? Would you return? And what's amazing about this story is we don't, we don't know how the story ends with Gomer and Hosea. That's the end of the story in the Bible. We don't know how Gomer responds to this offer of grace. And we don't know how this, the story ends with the woman who's caught in adultery either. We don't know. The story just ends there. And I don't know how you're going to respond this morning to this offer of grace, but I can tell you this. The Bible says this in First Peter. The Bible says this. You have been redeemed. You have been redeemed today, church. And it's not with gold and it's not with silver, but the precious blood of Jesus. You have been redeemed. And I believe that God wants you to know this morning, your Redeemer, He wants to pull you aside into that quiet, private place. And He wants to tell you, I didn't redeem you for you to be my slave. I redeemed you for you to be my lover, my lifelong lover. I believe He wants to pull you aside. It's just you and and Jesus standing there. And He wants you to hear those words, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I don't know how Gomer responded. I don't know how this woman who was caught in adultery responded, but I wonder if they just stood there in disbelief and said, how can it be? How can this be? Is this offer of grace really that free? How can this be? And I'm going to give an invitation as our our worship team plays here today. Some of you today are, you need the pardon of God. Others of you need the power of God. Some of you need the pardon, though. You've, you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Redeemer. You don't know Christ as your Savior. And you need to hear those words. I don't condemn you today. And there's nobody here that's going to condemn you either. Nobody here has authority to condemn anybody. Isn't that good news? Only God has that authority. But Jesus does not want to condemn anybody. He wants to say, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And if you're here today and that's you, you need that kind of pardon from God. When I open up these altars, people are going to come and you're going to come and you're going to come here. and We're going to pray together here in a few minutes. Some of you need the power of God. You know what, God, I need that grace. I need that powerful grace in my life. I need that that M.O. in my life. Many people responded in the first service, eight o'clock in the morning. And this altar, there was a lot of people in the altar at eight o'clock in the morning. I don't know how you're going to respond today, but I know this. If you want grace, you're not going to let anything hold you back. Nothing's going to hold you back. And here's my advice to you this morning. Don't walk away from the grace of God. Don't walk away. Don't be like those men who walked away. Let's be like that woman who stood and was cleansed and was empowered and was changed by the grace of God that day. I want everybody, if you would stand to your feet right now. If that's you this morning, you need God's grace for pardon. You need God's grace for power. Would you come forward? Would you come forward this morning right now? Just step away from your seat and come join me here at this altar. Man.
God, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for your powerful grace today. God, I thank you that your grace is available to change everything. God, go to the core of who we are. Go to the core, God. Go to the very roots. God, I thank you that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name.